Well, church, as you are having a seat, I want to say welcome. So glad that you are here on Time Change Spring Break Sunday. Y'all get the gold star. Way to go. Glad you're here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, will you grab them and open up to Exodus chapter 9? Exodus chapter 9. We are continuing to journey through the book of Exodus. We've been in it for many, many weeks. We will be in it for many, many, many more weeks as it has 40 chapters and we are just in chapter 9. We are looking at today the seventh plague, the seventh plague. And so I asked this question of y'all two weeks ago and I'm going to ask it again here this morning because I believe that it is a um, predominant question that Exodus especially in the plagues, is wanting us to consider, is wanting us to grab hold of, and is wanting us to know. And it's a simple question, but it's a question that has profound ramifications. It has profound implications on our lives and on the lives of those around us. And it's this question, who is your God? Who is your God? See, everyone worships something. Whether you like to believe you do or not, everyone worships something or someone. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, the great theologian, once said that our hearts are idol factories, meaning that the human heart on its own just invents new things to bow down and worship. We invent new things. We're factories that produce new things that we can find meaning and value and purpose in, and we spend our lives and our days chasing those things that can never satisfy, that can never live up to what they promise, even what we think they might in our hearts. Everyone worships something. Who do you worship this morning? Now, Exodus was written in part to show us and to help answer that question of who is the true and living God? Who is this God? And so church, as we are journeying through this book, I want to remind you that before you dismiss these uh, plagues and these stories and these, uh, these narratives that we're walking through right now, before you dismiss them as outlandish stories or as fables or as just things to maybe uh, help prove a point, they're not just fables, they're not just cute stories. We need to understand what it is that God is doing in and through these What's happening here? Now, God isn't just messing with a group of people. He's not just messing with the Egyptians because he's like, you know, I'm gonna send all these plagues and they seem kind of random. We've got flies and we've got some frogs and we've got some uh, weird blood thing in the river. It's not just these random, uh, inconsequential, inconsequential, that's a hard word, things to do to these people, right? It's not random. He's not pestering the Egyptians, just because he feels like, you know what? Let's mess with these people. It's not what's happening here. There's something bigger happening here. There's something more profound happening in even each of these plagues that we're encountering. See, God in each of these plagues is calling out and he's calling to attention the false gods of the Egyptian people. 
He's saying you have invented and you have bowed and given your hearts and lives to these false gods that are not true and they are not real and they will not come through for you. And the real one true God is highlighting them as fraud through the plagues. Okay? And we know that to be true. I'm not just making that up because God's word tells us that's the very case. Exodus 12, as we will look in weeks ahead, 12.12 says, On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Why? I am the Lord. So God is looking down at these Egyptians. He's not just saying, you know what, I don't like these people. What he's doing is he's saying, these people are worshiping incorrectly. They're worshiping the wrong God. They're worshiping a whole myriad of gods, and I'm going to reveal to them that their gods will never come through for them. Numbers 33, 4, recounting the same thing, recounting um, the Exodus, says this, on their gods also the Lord executed his judgments. So when we read the plagues, when we're walking through all of these, and we're in the seventh now, we come face to face with what God is wanting every one of you and I to know, and he's what, what he's wanting the Egyptians to know is that he alone is God. He alone is God. And no one else is to be worshiped as God. The plagues are a direct answer to the question that Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians, who believed to himself be a god, to his question to Moses, Exodus 5.2. The plagues are an answer to the question that the king of the Egyptians, who believed himself to, to be a deity, to the question here, who, this is Pharaoh, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let them go. And right after this, we see God say, I'm going to show you who I am. In no uncertain terms, I'm going to display my power, and I'm going to display to you and the world around you exactly who I am, and in doing so, I will crush your idols as false gods. Now, I know it may seem antiquated. You're like, we're talking about idols. A few weeks ago, we showed you how you know, the, the, the plague of the frogs was like a frog goddess that they worshiped, and, sh and she was the goddess Heket, who was the goddess of prosperity. And a lot of these plagues have direct correlations with these false gods of the Egyptian people. And you may think, how antiquated? How old-fashioned? It's like, are you kidding me? It's 2022. Are we talking about, like, frog head goddesses? Well, I mean... What's going on here? This seems so bizarre. Well, church, don't dismiss what the Egyptians did and how they worshiped as us being so far advanced and ahead of where they're at. We do this, but we give our gods many, many different names. We are not so far advanced and so far removed from this story that the one true living God would need to make himself known in powerful and abundant ways because we oftentimes, if we're not careful, can spend our lives bowing to other things, giving our time to other things, giving our thoughts to other things, giving our petitions to other things, giving our resources to other things. And if we're not careful, 
those can become deadly idols in our lives that we will spend the rest of our days chasing and we will find out one day that they are empty wells that can never satisfy. We are not so different from the Egyptians in this story. And God says, I'm going to reveal to you who I am. And it should be no surprise to us that as we journey along in the story of Exodus, we'll get to the Ten Commandments. And the very first commandment that God gives to his people to, to, to just to, to begin the whole thing, to start the whole thing, to give them a banner by which to live, live by is, you shall have no other gods before me. He just spent the whole previous part of the book just dismantling the gods of the Egyptians and then he looks to his people, his chosen people who will reflect his glory on the earth and says, you shall not have any gods before me. All right, let's jump into this text this morning. We're gonna look at the plague of the hail. Um, in fact, what we'll read is it is uh, the worst hailstorm ever recorded in history up until that point in Egypt. So not just a small Texas hailstorm that we go up and think is fun because you can like kind of, it looks like snow, but if your kids have never seen snow, you're like, that's not snow, it's hail, right? It's not like sleet. This is a major devastating hailstorm, right? And here in this plague, what we're beginning to see as these have gone on, if you are new with us, welcome, go back and listen to some of the ones beforehand but where we've unpacked each of these plagues, but in this plague, we begin to see the severity and the consequences of the plagues begin to ratchet up. God wants to get their attention even more, believe it or not. God is in this plague literally opening up the skies and raining down judgment upon unbelief. Severe. Seventh plague, the plague of hail, Exodus 9, 13. Let's jump in. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh. Say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. So God here at the beginning is reminding Pharaoh and he's reminding us the purpose of the plagues is not to show off. It's not to just mess with Egypt. He basically said, listen, if I wanted to destroy the Egyptian people, I could have done it in one. I didn't need this series of plagues. I could have stretched out my hand and said, done, gone. I could have done so with the wave of the hand because he is God. God is revealing to Egypt and he is revealing to Israel exactly who he is and why we should obey his voice, why we should obey his words. And what we see here, and the point that he's, one of the points he's making here that he's revealing is that we see a merciful God. You're like, mercy? <laughs> That's a, this, none of this seems like mercy at all. 
There's frogs, there's flies, there's gnats, there's blood in the water, there's tragedy. It's like, how could you ever equate this to mercy? God just said, I could have enacted judgment in one failed swoop. He said, instead, he's getting the attention of these people and he's even showing the Israelites, his people, who he is. He's patient. He's merciful, even in the plagues. Parents, we kind of know this. It's like, how many chances do we give our kids? And our kids do not interpret this as our mercy, right? When they disobey and they disobey and they disobey and you say, all right, last chance. They don't interpret that as merciful, but we know as parents, we're like, I should, the very first time I should have just come down with a hammer, right? But oftentimes we want to teach them. You need to obey my voice. You need to obey my voice. And I'll actually extend mercy, even in the face of these extreme circumstances and consequences. He's sparing them, God's word says. Church, this is exactly how God deals with you and I. He is patient with us. I could stand up here and recount countless stories of my failures and my falling in my sin, in my disobedience to the voice and word of God, and yet he is patient with me. Does he correct me? Yes. Is that correction oftentimes painful? Yes. But he is patient and he is merciful with me, a sinner. He is a merciful God. Now, verse 16, we see something interesting here. And God gives some commentary uh, that are not given in any of the other plagues where he actually describes his very purposes in the plagues. So he doesn't do this before. We're kind of left having to piece together some of the context, but here he just comes right out and tells us what's happening. Verse 16, for this purpose, God says, I have raised you up. One, he shows, gives us two purposes, to show you my power so first, the plagues are designed, the purpose of this plague and the purpose of the plagues are to show us the power of God. He does not mess around. He is all powerful. He is in control. He controls the weather. He controls the water. He controls the air. He controls uh, insects, the beasts of the field, all of it. And second, it says, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Why is God enacting these plagues on the people? To show God's power and to mold for himself a people who will proclaim his name on all the earth. God's power and proclamation of his name. Those are the purposes of the plagues that are just told to us. And history proves God's second purpose. Here we are proclaiming the name of God because of these plagues. Here we are today fulfilling that second purpose. And in fact, the Israelites never forgot and the Israelites carried on this promise. They recounted them to their children. They recounted the plagues, the story of the plagues in Deuteronomy 6. These aren't gonna be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. I'm gonna go through a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 6, 21 they, the, the, the Israelites recounted these 
of the power of God and the purposes of God. They says, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all of his household before our eyes. That's Deuteronomy 6. God's people never forgot what the Lord did and they recounted it so that the name of God would be proclaimed in all the earth. They actually sung about the plagues, believe it or not. You're like, oh, these wouldn't make very good songs. They did. Like, these are f- f- frightening, right? This is like Hitchcock-like stuff happening, right? You may have noticed the bird over here that's been pecking. <laughs> I know. I know. All morning long, we tried to shoo him off. It's a sign of the plague so that none of you will ever forget this moment. The birds literally want to get in here to hear this, okay? Some of you were looking at me weird. I was wondering what was happening, and then I remembered it's the bird. So let's all just move on. We've all seen a bird. It's not 10,000 birds. When that happens, then we get scared, okay? Then we, we run. Are we good? Okay. They sung about this stuff. Where was I? Where was I? The Israelites sung, sang songs about these plagues. Listen to Psalm 78. Can you imagine this being a melodic tune that we would sing? He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. And he gave, I'm trying to be sing-songy if you didn't notice. Like, and he gave over their cattle to hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. That's this plague. They sung about it. Why? so that the name of God would be proclaimed in all the earth. They remembered him. They never forgot him. They wanted to remain steadfast about who he is and what he was all about so that the name of God would be exalted. Back to Exodus 9, verse 17. You're still exalting yourself against my people, God's word against Pharaoh. And will not let them go. And behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause heavy hail to fall, such has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Verse 19, we're moving on. And therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and that is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. And whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. This is very interesting to me. It seems here that what we have happening is, I I don't believe this is necessarily a salvation moment for some of these Egyptians. But here we clearly have some of the people in Egypt, some of the Egyptians obeying God's word. Some of them heard. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. However, maybe there was other people in this conversation that heard that the Lord was sending a hailstorm and they heeded the word of God. And they listened to the word of God. They were beginning to see what God was wanting to have happen. He is a God of his word. He is not playing around. 
obey his voice. And so some of them heeded the word of God. And here we have this scene where they are believing the words of God to be true. See, what I, what I don't want us to see here as we walk through these plagues and as we walk through this narrative in Exodus is that God hates the Egyptian people. He doesn't hate the Egyptian people. He hates their idolatry. God wants all people, every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship him. He hates their idolatry just like he hates our idolatry. And he wants to wake us up to its false narrative in our lives so that we would worship the one true God. Here we have some Egyptians beginning to trust and obey in the word of God. How do I know this to be true? How do I know that God isn't just a God of tribalism and just says, nope, and yes over here, but he is a God that wants every tribe, tongue, and nation because we know in Jeremiah 46 and in Isaiah 19, Both of these passages talk about God's plan for the salvation of Egypt and the Egyptian people. How else do we know this? Well, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where God gives the Holy Spirit and the church is born. Where the church is born, named among those people where the church is born and Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit falls on this group of people, named among those people are the Egyptian people. They're there. God has a plan for all people to know him. His desire is that all people would know him and obey his voice. He wants He wants us to turn from our idols and worship and listen and obey and live in the way that he has called us to and commanded us to because that's where true life is. Idols will never measure up to what we believe they will be. He loves the Egyptian people and he's actually using these plagues to turn their hearts from idols to the one true living God. He is a God of the nations. And every tribe, tongue, and nation will one day bend a knee to him. So the storm hits the people, verse 22, Exodus 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all of the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail in case you were wondering, such as never been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck down everything that was in the field. In all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were. There was no hail. God protected his people. But his desire was to wake up the Egyptians to their idolatry. So here we see the plagues have escalated. Here we see the first spilling of human blood. It's not frogs in your bread baskets and beds anymore or flies everywhere or gnats or just the livestock 
folly. Here we see any man or beast left in that field, not heeding the word of God, will be destroyed. Severe consequence. The plague is a warning to pay careful attention to God's word. So here we're given two ways to respond to the word of God that we see clear in this plague. One is to fear his word and obey him and take shelter based on what he says. And the other is to ignore it. To hear it and do nothing. Now fearing God's word meant for them and it means for you and I believing, obeying him, trusting him, trusting that his word is good, right, and true. For us today, it means believing the good news and trusting the good news about Jesus, our savior, our rescuer, our shelter, our one that will protect us from the coming judgment at hand. And we trust in him as our savior in safe place and refuge. On the flip side, ignoring God's word means doing nothing. It means hearing it and ignoring it. And what happens when we do not take the word of God seriously into heart, it has devastating consequences. In fact, I debated whether or not to even go here, but uh, I decided that we will right now. Um, <laughs> Revelation 16 talks of another hailstorm in the great day of judgment. Uh, and it's terrifying. And it's another story of heeding the word of God and believing him or doing nothing about his word and ignoring him. Revelation 16, it won't be on the screen, 17 and 18, listen to this. This is in the last days. Um, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So in Exodus chapter 9, we have the worst hailstorm ever recorded until Revelation 16. So great was that earthquake and great hailstones, hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe. The only way to be safe from this second great plague that's coming one day is to believe the word of God about the good news of his son, Jesus Christ, who saves those who are his, who protects those that are his, that shields those that are his that cares for those that are his. And it's the same as the plague of hail in Exodus chapter nine. Believe the word of God and be sheltered. Believe the word of God and be sheltered. Church, my hope for us is that we would trust Christ that we would believe his word, the word of God, that we would repent and that we would trust Christ as our safe place, as our refuge. How does Pharaoh respond going back to Exodus 9? Not well. Well, seemingly very well at first. 
we think, whoa, is there a change of heart? But I believe what we see here, as we will find out as we keep reading, is Pharaoh practices um, false repentance. False repentance. And this is what Ashley and I, my wife, say often to our kids. Sorry, you're right here. So you get a little, here's pastor's kids, get the sermon lesson right here in the front row. Um, but this is what is, we often refer to, are you sorry or are you sorry you get caught, right? Any parents ever use that one? We are familiar with that and maybe we've heard that growing up, maybe our parents use that. Or are you really sorry or are you just sorry you got caught, right? This is Pharaoh. Is he sorry or is he sorry he got caught and he's looking for a way out? Um, Verse 27, and then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I've sinned and the Lord is in the right and my people are in the wrong. That all sounds wonderful. You're like, wow, the plagues are working finally on Pharaoh. Plead with the Lord for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail and I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So he makes a false repentance and then he makes a false promise. It seems good on the surface, but even in this false repentance, he minimizes his sin. Did you notice that? He says, this time, this time I have sinned. All the other times I was right. All the other times this has happened where you've said the exact same thing and I hardened my heart against the Lord and you asked me to do this and you told me, but I didn't believe you. This, those were fine. This time I'm wrong. Why? Because I want the hail storm to stop. So I'm willing to say whatever I need to say to get out of this pinch. So Pharaoh does not turn from his sins. He continues his whole little game of deception, trying to outsmart and outwit God because he thinks he's a better God. Verse 29, Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out to the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord and the thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the ember were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. You're like, that's a weird side note. That's for next week. The locusts are coming. There's more to come, right? There's more left that the Lord is trying to gather his attention, but we don't have time to get into that today. So Moses went out from the city, from Pharaoh, and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants, so that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. False repentance. God doesn't just want our lip service. He wants there to actually be action and feet behind what our words say to him. Um, 
the psalmist tells us about God's in control, God uh, being the one in control of even the rain and the hail. Psalm 48 says, lightning, hail, snow, and mist, stormy wind, all do God's bidding. God is trying to get us to understand this. God is trying to get Pharaoh to understand this. God is trying to get the Egyptian people to understand this. God wants his people, the Israelites, to understand this, to see him work. Psalm 46.1, our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is our only help. He is our only strength. So I began by asking, who is your God? To whom do you give worship, in other words? And God here is doing plague after plague after plague to get you and I to understand that there is one true God. There's one true God deserving of our worship, our trust, our adoration, our hearts. And over the last many weeks, we've seen many different attributes of God bubble up to the surface about who he is and what he's like. And here's a few of them. We've seen that God is almighty. There's no other gods. We've seen that he rules over creation. We've seen that there are no little gods in charge of little parts of creation. There is one true God that rules over all. We see that he's almighty, that he is sovereign, that he has rule and dominion over all. And we see that God's justice and that God's mercy are his choice. He decides. His economy is the one that matters. We see that he is a jealous God and he will not share his glory with another. He won't. But we see that he is a just God. Amen, bird. He's a just God. And he will punish people according to their sins to those who refuse to listen and heed his word. But we also praise him because he is a merciful God and that he will save all those who cry out to him in genuine, genuine humility and obey his word. So we've seen even in these short chapters, nine chapters, our God is almighty, he is sovereign, he is jealous, he is just, and he is merciful. And this one great God, one thing that we need to come to grips with and it's hard for us is that his mercy and his justice are always mingled together. They're always mingled together. See, God's most glorious act of mercy and his most heinous act of judgment that jars us to the very core happened in the very same breath with God putting to death his firstborn son. And we will see a glimmer of it, a glimpse of it in the 10th and final plague in the weeks ahead when God passes over us through the shedding of his only begotten son, Jesus our Lord, and instead punished out his son, our great savior, in our place. So how do we miss this devastating storm of hail and death and judgment? Trust in Jesus, who was punished in our place, 
He was crucified instead of us. He took the sting and the penalty of death and judgment that we could not bear. He took God's wrath on behalf for us. The Bible teaches that everyone will be judged. You are either going to be at your judgment, um, have no condemnation because we are found and freed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, or we will stand alone and the end result will be far worse than the plagues we read about in Exodus. Those are not easy words to say out loud to a group of people looking at you, but they're not my words. It's what God says. So I plead with you today, church, if you do not know him, run to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we find mercy. In him we find life from judgment. In him we find Grace, we find mercy because he took the sting of judgment and death and he instead now gives to us his very life and glory that we can be with our God, the one true God forever and ever and ever. That is the good news of the gospel, that we would heed his word and we would repent and we would run into the Savior's arms. No condemnation, no shame because he took it all for us. Church, we can rejoice in Jesus because he took our curse. If you do not know him, run to him now. Bend a knee to him now. Ask him to invade your heart, to overcome your stubborn heart. If you have a hardened heart like Pharaoh and these things just bounce off of you, beg God. Beg him. Say, God, only you can move and overcome my stubborn heart. Beg him to do that. And he can. My words can't. Church services can't. But a living, true God can. And you can be counted as a blood-bought son and daughter of the Most High. And be found in him. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, I... I ask that this morning, we as your people would heed your word, that we would know that there is one true God, that you are both merciful and just. God, I pray now for anyone in this room that doesn't know you. Lord, would you move on their hearts and minds right now through the power of your spirit? Would you break down hardened walls that they've built up against you? And Lord, would your light invade the darkness? And would they come to know you, God? Would you save and would you rescue as only you can do? And may they be counted in the great Lamb's book of life who when judgment comes, Lord, we would find our safe refuge because we are children of God through our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now for those of us in this room that maybe we've heard this, it feels like a million times. And it can seem like routine. Lord, would you awaken our sleeping hearts? May we not bow to the idols of this world that beg for our time and attention. And Lord, would we run after you, the one true living God. And would we taste and see and know that you are good. Would you take a moment just in the quietness and stillness and just 
wherever you're at, whatever the Lord is speaking to you here this morning, would you just uh, ask that the Lord would move? Would you ask that he would speak to you in these final moments we have? Would you ask maybe if you don't know him, would you just take some time to plead with him that he would invade your heart? If you've known him for a long time, would you ask him to awaken your heart to who he is? Lord, thank you that you hear each of these prayers lifted up to you because you are a big and glorious God. Lord, may this next song that we sing be honoring to you. Lord, make us into a people who are true worshipers of the one living true God. You are good. You are always right. And you are forever true. In Christ's name, amen. Church, let's stand and worship.